What's going on, everyone? This week's guest is nothing short of a movie guru. He shares with us how his passion led to him writing for Midwest Film Journal and being a part of the Indiana Film Journalists Association. We discuss how we both have love for movies and growing up around them. Um, listening to him speak about movies will inspire you to appreciate film more. We go over some of his favorite movies and what he's excited for that's coming out this year. So please welcome the super knowledgeable and lover of movies, good or bad, Mitch Ringenberg. Dude, I don't know what's going on with my, uh, I had like my, it, like my headphones. They're supposed to kind of be connected to the Bluetooth of this. And I literally was on a podcast yesterday and I used these and, um, you know, they worked just fine. What, uh, what podcast were you on? It's called Awake in the Dark. It's like a Fort Wayne based, um, movie podcast. Uh, my buddy Brent uh, has run it for several years. Um, and, uh, I'm going to try this one more time. And if not, I mean, I can probably do it without, um, No, you're good. You're good. I honestly like the feedback sounds. It still sounds clear. It sounds good to say, me. You could say bad. It's fine. No, no, it, it, it totally <laughs> sounds fine. Dude. I, I don't, I've never made my own podcast, so <laughs> you're already like 10 steps ahead of me. Um, no. Okay. Right. Yeah, this is this should be fine. So what's up, dude? So what um what podcast were you just on? It's called Awake in the Dark. Uh, I think the episode that I'm on um should be published sometime this week. Um, but yeah, my buddy Brent Bluthold, he um is in the same film critic circle that I'm in, and uh, he does he has his own podcast. There's so. I mean, we could talk about this on our podcast, but yeah, like essentially like I know a few people with podcasts. So like occasionally I've, I've made appearances in the past on several podcasts, probably Um, not like frequent, uh, but you know, probably a dozen times or so. No big deal. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. (laughs) Um, NPR. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But please, yeah. don't, please don't cancel me. Um, <laughs> dude, okay, so when I launched this thing, I told a couple people, um, well, before I launched it, I had like a list of people I was going to have on, right? Like just kind of like get my feet wet with everything and yeah. uh, some interesting guests. And I was like, oh, I got to have Mitch on because I love talking about movies. And you basically are a movie guru. Uh, well, <laughs> that's very without- Without the title, without the title, that's very kind of you to say. Maybe unofficially, are are we going right now? Are we in it? All yeah. right, dude. Cool. Um, and like, awesome. hey, um, I can cut out anything you want to. Oh no, I don't think I said anything too incriminating. So, so, uh, so, Cats is your favorite movie, and I would love to hear about that. It is. It's actually the only movie I've seen. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I am a bit of a movie nerd for sure. I had almost a uh, like like a savant like um, you know obsession with movies when I was very very young, um, oddly young. Was uh, it uh, like just growing up with your parents, and that was kind of like, hey, we bond over movies because that's how it was for me. You know, I mean, my dad is is kind of an artsy guy he uh is really into music and film and like art but i don't know if i was necessarily steered in that direction i am i would just kind of my sort of a child brain would just sort of latch onto things and just become obsessed with them for some reason i really was into like goosebump books i remember when i was like three or four years yeah. old I remember those. that I always liked kind of horror related things. And my parents, you know, we would go to rent a movie on a Friday night and I would wander the video aisles uh, myself. And I remember I would just look at the pictures on the back of like VHS covers and things like that. And I was always drawn towards like the horror section. I would always what I would always look at, you know, covers for like Hellraiser or Nightmare on Elm Street. And my, my mom would be like, don't don't you know look at that because i was i i was gonna ask if you wandered in that uh the the back corner of the movie store but uh honestly you know i was i was kind of the same way like i did gravitate towards the horror especially like the, the covers were like this is interesting and i'm sure it's gonna scare me but i wasn't expecting it to scare me you know what i mean it was just an interesting looking cover yeah you know for the most part it does seem that like horror the horror genre in general has always has like the most striking like posters or box art right so maybe that's part of what gravitated me towards it as um as a kid but yeah i would i would kind of just pour through uh you know the video aisles and just kind of absorb you know the images on these on these cases and then when i got a little bit older um my you know my parents would kind of bribe me and by a little bit older i mean like three or four my parents would bribe <laughs> me if there were things that i wanted they wanted me to do they would say like oh well you can watch jurassic park if you know uh <laughs> you can watch jurassic park if you know you eat all of your food tonight or you know or you nice. go to school and not cry or whatever little kids do and so they would reward me with those kinds of things and in elementary school um, my dad bought me like this giant compendium. I mean, it's like, I think I have one in my living room still. Uh, that would be every movie review that Roger Ebert wrote in like a given year. So it'd be like 1996. And these, I mean, these things were thick. They were probably six, 700 pages. Damn. And there are no pictures or anything. They would just be his yeah. reviews in alphabetical order throughout the year. And I must have been eight or nine and I would read all of these reviews for movies that I had no context for like, you know, what these movies were about, or I mean, I would read in the review what they were about, but I didn't know anything about these movies. So I would be reading the review and trying to imagine like, man, what must this movie be like, you know? Um, and a lot of movies I would be reading about my parents would never actually let me watch, you know, but they liked that I, I would read. Um, so yeah, I really, uh, <laughs> What's like really nerding out hard at an incredibly young age. And I think, you know, as I got into college or not even college in high school, I uh, started writing for the high school newspaper in Carmel High School. 
Okay. Yeah. And I remember uh, I was, you know, I, I was just on the, the school newspaper and they had me writing sports articles, like covering um, sporting events. And I'm a huge nerd. I don't know anything about sports or, you know, whatever they had me, <laughs> whatever they had me covering. And my stories were terrible because I had no interest <laughs> in writing them. And then I remember one time uh, our newspaper teacher, this guy, Mr. Streisel, he was like, Mitch, like, is there anything you, he probably was like reading them and being like, these are fucking terrible. Like, uh, <laughs> like we need to see if Mitch like actually even wants to be on the newspaper. <laughs> and uh, I remember he asked me, he's like, is there anything you would want to write about? And I was like, well, I like music and movies. And he's like, yeah, why don't you try a hand at like writing a music review? I started with music and then I shifted pretty quickly into movies. But I remember my first review uh, it just came very naturally to me because mm -hmm. I, I've been reading film criticism like my whole life. So I just sort of had my own understanding about how these should be sort of structured and written. And I remember uh, I, you know, started writing reviews and all of a sudden, like, they were like, yeah, keep doing this. This is what you should, <laughs> you know, be doing. So that was kind of how I got my start into writing about movies. So do you think you're like writing... <sighs> I guess skill or your writing in in general just basically just became from like reading all of the reviews. Like that's kind of like how you were able to like write or describe or be descriptive with cer certain things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was, uh, again, I, I don't know what it was when I was a kid. I was just like, <laughs> I don't know if I was like on the spectrum or something, <laughs> but I don't know if that's, but I I would just obsess over things that I was interested in. And um, I would read all the time. I would put myself, uh, you know, I would, I'd be in my room and I would just read, read, read all the time, whether it was about movies or it was fiction and things like that. And I, I do think, you know, I, you become so familiar with, just how sentences are written and how authors d describe things and articulate themselves. I think, you know, you devote X amount of hours uh, to, to reading something, it, you kind of absorb it. And eventually, you know, you have kind of the building blocks for your own skills as a writer. I, I felt like, um, you know, I, I look back and I read like even my reviews from like high, you know, from high school and, you know, they're terrible, but, you know, I guess maybe for like a 15, 16 year old, they're, they're not so bad. Yeah. Okay. So when did you, is that basically how you launch, did you launch Midwest Film Journal or is it, are you part of that or do you head that? Yeah. So no, I don't head it. So, um, you know, after high school and college, I was just, uh, kind of wrapped up in college and socializing and going to classes and all of that stuff. I kind of didn't do too much writing during college. And um, at one, at one point, you know, post-college, I think it was like 2017 or so, uh, there was a guy I knew named Sam Watermeyer. He's a, he's a great critic in his own right. And he went to Carmel high school with me. And we actually both wrote, we were like the two movie critics for the school newspaper. And I saw, you know, I, I would always, he wrote for Nouveau. Do you know that like Indian, Indianapolis kind of like local paper? It's not really around. I think they have like a website, but they used to have a free newspaper. They got published for years and years and years. Okay. He wrote for that 
And he's like in the Indiana Film Journalist Association. And I saw, you know, one day he posted on Facebook. He was like, hey, me and my friend Evan, da- my friend Evan Dossie and Nick Rogers and Evan Dossie's wife, um, Allie Cavanis, she, they, they were starting this new website and they're, we're going to be writing about films. They're all in a film critic circle. So they all have kind of the credentials. And I hadn't talked to Sam in a little while and I kind of just reached out. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, I've kind of wanted to get back into writing about movies. I really do need that outlet. Uh, I think, you know, I'm that guy who uh, when I'm when I'm when I'm around my friends, like I'm the guy who would always want to talk about movies and not shut the hell up about movies. So it's yeah. like, you know, I really need that that outlet to just talk and geek out about movies and express myself about movies. So I reached out and they didn't respond. So I was like, OK, I guess, you know, whatever. Just uh, left, like, left on red or something yeah. like that. Like, oh, <laughs> no, like, this is very uncomfortable. Yeah, I was like, I was like ah, no worries. I guess they just weren't into it, and that's fine. And then months later, they got back to me. And they're like, hey, yeah, no, no. Uh, sorry, we just saw this. Um, you know, we we love to, you know, see some of your writing and see if you want to write on the site. So I started writing, like, a column for them called uh, Schlock Art, and it was essentially just really crazy grimy like exploitation movies old movies that i thought were kind of underrated so it'd be stuff like basket case the exterminator death wish three just fit very uh you know just trashy kind of grindhouse type movies and after writing that they were like hey do you just want to come on board just like be one of our staff writers and i was like for sure so i started reviewing things Eventually, I did get into the Indiana Film Journalist Association a couple years later once I had like more experience under my belt. And yeah, I still write for Midwest Film Journal. I write for my uncle's newspaper as well. Um, periodically, he he has a newspaper like outside of Boston called The Advocate um, okay. that I'll, I'll write for them as well. And I've done some freelance work in between, but those are kind of my two primary outlets. That would sound like to me, that sounds so fun because I grew up kind of um, a little similar. I mean, like my I grew up, my dad was um, huge into like music and movies as well. So it was kind of like when we're going on road trips, we're listening to like the classic rock station and I'm growing up around all of like your I mean, like, sure, like Fleetwood Mac, Led Zeppelin, you can find them everywhere on the radio. But it was like your Eric Clapton's, your your Bob Dylan's, um, you know, all, all all of that kind of music. And then we also would do like movies of all kinds. Like, it's so funny because I grew up watching like The Breakfast Club, um, Blues Brothers, Blue Velvet, like, like, that's <laughs> like quite, quite a, like quite a wide range, right? And then I look, yeah. I look back and I watch these movies as an adult and I'm like, how did I <laughs> like, like <laughs> not that it it shaped it, it didn't like mold my mind to be like, you know, immature or anything. But I look back, I'm like, damn, I really watched Blues Brothers when I was like five years old. And I look back. First off, it was a, it's a great movie, but like definitely the scene with like the nun and they're just cursing up a storm. And I'm like, wow, my parents had me watch this. This is great. This is a great upbringing. It, it's weird, though, when you're young and you see things like that. And honestly, you know, I think people would be probably be surprised. People who know me would be surprised to learn, like, my parents weren't 
really like free reign on I could watch whatever I watch. Like my parents were pretty like locked down. Like R-rated movies were not a thing when I was like Same. in elementary school. That Same. was just not cool. Um, and I mean, did I find ways to, you know, um, <laughs> I, was, I, I was I was pretty crafty. I, I you know, did I find ways to kind of watch R-rated movies like on TV late at night and things like that? For sure. But, um, you know, it wasn't, I, w- I didn't have like free reign until, you know, I was a little bit older than that. And I, you know, I think speaking to your point, when you're younger, it's kind of like you just don't get what you don't get. And yeah. you watch a movie and there's like maybe a scene with kind of like sexual undertones or overtones and, or, you know, really uh, vulgar language you kind of like don't know what you're hearing, but you know, it's supposed to be a joke. So you're just like, ha ha ha. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it was probably one of those things where it's like, Hey, like this is enjoyable, but like, don't, don't repeat what you see <laughs> on the TV screen in public, basically, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good way to gauge it. I, I think for me, when I, I, I often think about this, you know, as somebody who's like getting married next year. And that's right. I, I'm, I often think about like for my kids, you know, like I can't wait to show them stuff. I like, you know, who knows now that I say that I'm going to have this like ironic twist of fate where my kids like a total meathead and just wants to like play football and like work on cars or something. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we'll, wait, we'll learn this together. Like yeah. we'll figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> which is totally fine, which is totally cool, you know, different strokes. But uh, I always think like, oh, you know, some movies I want to show my kid, like, how old can my kid be when I want to show him, like, RoboCop or something like that, right? And mm. I think like, I think once you're out of elementary school, maybe even a little early, like, I, I think like, you could pretty much... Open up the doors. Open it up a little bit. Yeah. I, um, that's so funny because when I was younger, I remember like summer, yeah, summertime, I would stay home and I watched maybe it was like Robocop 2. And this part will still stick. I just see it perfectly. Um, there was some moment in that scene where there were like people's brains, I think, in, uh, it's some type of, I don't know, liquid just floating, probably like keeping them alive. And I was eating a bowl of ramen noodles. And at the time I was eating and I'm looking, I'm like, man, this is, this is just too graphic for me. And then I, I just couldn't eat ramen noodles the same little side note for everyone out yeah, there. listening. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, those movies are pretty gross. Uh, I think, I mean, especially like RoboCop in general is like in, in, you know, for those who haven't seen it in a long time or have never seen it, you know, you would think with kind of such a, a goofy title that the movie might be this fun sort of like... It's pretty gross. Bump. And it is it is fun, but it's also a disgusting movie. Uh, Robocop, like, shoots a guy in the dick at one point, and, uh, you know, one guy gets, like, melted by uh, radioactive waste. and he, uh, he also shoots somebody through the scope of a sniper rifle, which I thought was pretty nice. Yeah, that is gnarly. I mean, Robocop, probably a probably a hip shot too, if I can remember. It might have just been like a pull up and boom. Oh, he's well, yeah, he doesn't have that wide of range of movement. You know, <laughs> yeah. He really only has that hip shot. Uh, but yeah, no, that 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 would be. I mean, 
that that would be i think if i saw that when i was too young i think that would have like blown my mind probably in a good way because it's so rad but yeah. it's also crazy violent dude it's funny my brother was playing uh the new like probably the newest mortal Kombat movie or newest mortal Kombat uh video game with me and robocop was one of the dlcs and his fatalities were just like ridiculous and of course when he dies he doesn't bleed he like has oil shoot all over the place it's just absurd typical mortal Kombat games right oh yeah um i actually have i i'm not like a big video game guy but i actually mm-hmm. did have that mortal Kombat game where you could be robocop yeah it's weird before. it's cool right. but yeah it's weird um what so what were some of the movies that like you remember that's kind of hard to say it's a loaded question but like growing up like what were the ones that you could you almost had on repeat nonstop, or you were always willing to like rewatch. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I, I think I could tell you like for like different phases of my life and yeah. like, like elementary through middle school. I mean, when I was very young, uh, I was obsessed with Jurassic park. I mean like monster yeah. stuff, like stuff with monsters to me, that was about as rad as it could get. Uh, Jurassic park, the, uh, horrible unfortunately it does not hold up at all the matthew broderick godzilla movie which i thought was incredible <laughs> when i was young is not good at all unfortunately like Dude, Jurassic Park still holds up really well i uh, like that, that i did like that godzilla a little bit oh i i thought it was incredible but it's yeah. you watch it now it's it's a little it's bad i mean it has really goofy moments that like just don't feel like they belong in a godzilla movie like godzilla's like creeping through the buildings stalking through the streets of new york city and like people are like working in their office and they kind of like look outside and like just miss him as he goes by. And then it's like, okay, no, if there was a <laughs> Godzilla would not be wandering the streets for like 45 minutes before no. anybody noticed. <laughs> I think the part I liked the most about that movie was honestly the theme song with Puff Daddy and Jimmy Page, where he was doing the Led Zeppelin cashmere guitar riff with it. <laughs> Man, the nineties, baby. Like that. Hell yeah. <laughs> that would doing that song. By you know, in retrospect, what a bizarre combination. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's that that was what a classic soundtrack. Um, yeah, that was also back in the day when a large tent pole movie in like the late 90s, especially, they were like, We have to have a song for the movie. Like, what's the song? You know what I mean? Like Men in Black, yeah. like Will Smith. You know, there was so much of that. Um, even like junkier lower budget movies they would have that like uh deep blue sea another movie i thought was awesome love that movie has has that main theme song by ll cool j called head like a shark fin and uh, yeah deep is transformed is like a shark fin yeah he transforms (laughs) like a cgi shark in the music video dude (laughs) and yeah so that that's just it's interesting that you don't you don't really see that anymore i honestly didn't even think about that until you just brought that up but some of those movies did they had like a music video of it and that's where you had the clips of the films in there and now you're like you don't really see that you don't you just don't see it no you don't see like a music video where like nickelback is like rocking out in the john wick universe or something like that you know also if any producer hears that you can use that yeah (laughs) that's incredible yeah (laughs) nickelback 
just give me a you know a thank you credit at the end of the video and that's all yeah. i ask that's um but yeah no so no um i really loved like monster type stuff i also you know i was a big and i still am i read a lot of comic books and i loved superhero stuff uh especially like the tim burton batman movies uh, i thought were the bomb yeah, they're the uh, best ones in my opinion they're uh, the best ones they're they're great i mean i i'll, I'll be a, a basic a basic boy here for a second and be like the dark knight is pretty you know it's pretty untouchable so how, but so how how old are you again i'm 31 okay so we're so i'm 33 so we grew up so so tim burton's batman with jack nicholson and michael keaton came out in 89 which is when i was born so i feel mm -hmm. like it's almost a calling which is why i love that film um yes and that just seemed the most, I guess, visually comic accurate, if that makes sense. Because um, like you, sure. they'll, it'll be like a quick clip of the city, which is just that sharp, edgy skyline, whatever. Um, very like Art Deco. Yes. Yep. Gothic architecture. And yeah. it was like, okay, you have Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton in the first one, and then the second one you have a more star-studded cast with Danny DeVito, Christopher Walken, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, who crushed it as Catwoman. Dude, like, maybe one of the greatest performances in any comic book movie ever. I think so, man. I really yeah. do. Especially, like, in, in, the, in the 90s to early 2000s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, I don't know. I wonder if they ever had, like, rumors or or talked about a third one of of michael keaton oh yeah i mean i i could totally uh, like get into all of that with you like the, yeah they were supposed to um and then it just kind of didn't work out for whatever reason i don't have it like but i have read about that pretty extensively because tim burton stayed on as a producer for batman forever and you know, I mean, I, I thought Batman Forever and like Batman and Robin, I thought those movies kicked ass too as, as a kid. I don't know <laughs> now that those are, it's weird. You like, I've almost come full circle with them where, you know, in high school and like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies were coming mm -hmm. out and I was just like peak stoked on superhero movies. Uh, I was like, Batman and Robin sucks. It's so sick. We have like Heath Ledger's the Joker now and all that stuff. And it's true. Like those movies are awesome. But now I can almost like appreciate the Batman and Robin Batman forever. And not that they're good movies. They're pretty terrible, like in some really objective ways. But <laughs> uh, I, I can kind of just appreciate that. It's like, we'll never get a Batman movie like that ever again. Like <laughs> that will never happen. You know, we're pretty much stuck in robert pattinson type like batman is always going to be incredibly dark like our main whole yep. batman movies and i you don't mind me going off on like a slight batman no. tangent here no uh, good because I, I can talk with that for a while i do worry a little bit that we might be like going way too far down the dark rabbit hole with batman where the Christopher Nolan movies, those Batman movies were very dark. And you compare them even to the Tim Burton movies, and they're much, much darker than the Tim Burton movies. And then we got, like, the Zack Snyder Batman versus Superman, which was, like, 
incredibly dark, but like didn't really feel like it had any substance to me. So when you say dark, do you mean dark story wise or just dark overall? Oh yeah, like dark story wise. Like okay, about like Heath Ledger in you know the Dark Knight. He's like this disfigured guy who's like carved his face and he's like a serial killer and you know he's almost like a seven type villain yeah and then we have great movie the zach oh amazing and then we have the zach snyder batman where it's like okay batman just straight up murders people like <laughs> doesn't give a shit blowing people up branding people with the bat sign before they go to prison so they can get shanked you know and there's just it's like okay that's like pretty uh intense i guess and you know that movie had a lot of problems in my opinion but and then we have like the joker movie where it's like okay like we're not even in a comic book movie anymore we're basically just like watching this like descent into hell for this guy and you know that 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 is interesting for what it is and then we have the robert pattinson where it's also just like so grim like the Riddlers again, like like a Zodiac type serial killer, and just do you know what I'm saying? Like we're getting so more and more grim in tone. I think that I am kind of at the point where I'm like, every new Batman thing seems to be a step in a darker direction than the last one, and it's kind of like, where can we really go? Like, is Batman going to be like? <laughs> Well, plus they're all trying to, I don't know if they're trying to be different, but they're all, it's like, hey, we had Christopher Nolan, then nothing for a while. And then, oh, we have, you know, freaking Ben Affleck coming in. Like, sure, that's cool. But there was really no, like, solid direction with that, I feel. It was just kind of like, here he comes. Like, oh, this could be cool. Also, you know, Ben Affleck was a little bit older when he started. And then Robert Pattinson comes in, phenomenal actor. Um, But it seems like one of those things where are we just looking at like another James Bond thing where we just have a new person every like five movies or something like that. But but the story's still I I think they I think they're making a. A good decision with robert pattinson because the way they started it like you can have three to five movies if that makes yes. sense at least yeah, with the same like, cast for the most yeah, he's like a dude in his 30s and so he's he's young he can do this for 15 more years potentially yeah. and yeah i i agree i do think i mean i think it has been a james bond thing for quite a while at this point because in the 90s yeah. you really did have like val kilmer george clooney uh Christian Bale, you know, like we were jumping from person to person. Um, what I worry is we are at such a point of like peak saturation with superhero films right now. There are so many. It, it I truly feel like a monkey's paw has like a, a monkey's paw wish has kind of been granted <laughs> in the sense that in the sense that when I was a kid or even in high school, I would be like, I would read comic books you know when i was 10 12 years old and be like man could you imagine if they made an avengers movie oh man that would be insane what if they made a justice league movie that would be crazy multiple superheroes in one movie who who could imagine and now i feel like you know the monkey's ball wish has been granted where it's like oh yes you will get those movies that is yeah. all you will get yeah. <laughs> you'll get we them have, all the time you know we have so many man it was like 
It's funny because uh, a very good friend of mine, he was on the podcast um, early on when I started this. His name's Josiah Dury, and he has Pod Level Midnight. So he talks about sports, but then he also is like a huge movie nerd. Um, and uh, he's going through like a series right now where he's going to start launching episodes basically centered around like certain directors and just kind of reviewing those films is kind of cool. But he said early on, uh, when we were talking about like Marvel movies or superhero movies, he's like, it's definitely becoming a like quantity over quality thing. And we're getting so many, we're getting TV shows, movies. And what sucks is like, I think a lot of them are pretty good, but it's hard to like, really like if you're just subconsciously like, comparing with other ones that are out but it's like we have so many that like i never watched okay i never watched miss marvel because of the fact that kenobi was out at the same time sure different whatever but it was like we're getting so many things right now that it's like i don't know how i can actually appreciate something if it it, like if it just gets thrown in my face for example if i if my favorite band drops an album every six months i'm not going to appreciate it each time no and it also just, I think, you know, we don't necessarily have like a huge diversity of styles at this point, especially within movies like Marvel um, to the point where I was pretty, che- I have been pretty checked out for the past few years. Although ironically enough, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and I like to think that might be my favorite Marvel movie of all time um, yeah. or of the MCU. But I do think there's, they all kind of have a same look and tone because they all are essentially like episodes of the same TV show, right? Um, Whether they're movies, they all have the same visual style. And, you know, I think that just to me gets a little tiresome after a while. You're right that they all have a kind of a baseline level of competence. Like they're all at least pretty good, like pretty watchable. Mm. But unfortunately, I just don't, with this much content out there, I don't think pretty good cuts it anymore you know <laughs> and that's, <laughs> yeah that's why that's why even something like uh that robert pattinson batman movie which i'm not saying it's like the best movie ever but at least that i was like wow like here's something a little different like this you know like this feels a little bit different for most superhero movies that we see and sure it's just borrowing styles from other movies but it's cool to see that remixed within like a superhero context yeah and plus it was like the first one of you kind of probably already had the sense that it was going to be additional films with him so it was like all right the fact that this is the first one and was very solid in its own right um i also am a a pretty big uh paul deno fan and i'm also a huge zodiac fan it's one of my favorite movies of all time so like to have so so to have someone who is the riddler very similar <laughs> to to <laughs> Zodiac. I was like, oh, this is the best movie ever. Zodiac's an incredible movie. Um, yeah. It was a movie that when I saw in high school, I remember seeing it in theaters and just like kind of not being able to wrap my head around it. I was like, mm-hmm. that wasn't what I expected it to be because I knew it was from the guy who made Seven. So I was yeah. sort of, ex- I was sort of a, yeah, I was sort of expecting this like, lurid like thrill ride you know and it's really just this kind of somber meditative um like sad character study um so i think it kind of 
it just wasn't what I expected. And yeah. then when I rewatched it, like several years later, I was like, oh, this movie is a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those movies where, um, like I'll have a list of like some of my favorite movies. And then uh, if I could like branch off and say like, here's a list of the movies that like, I will always rewatch and like never get tired of. Okay. That's one of them for sure. Seven is another one. I mean, both from David Fincher. In fact, like, I mean, he came out with like, he had Zodiac seven fight club. Um, gone girl, which is based off a book. I just recently watched that again. Still a good movie. And, um, he also did, case of benjamin button like he's he's pretty solid i would say he's consistent even his movies that are maybe not among his best right like even his worst movies in my opinion are still pretty good you know like in a movie like to me like benjamin button i'd be like that's one of his lesser movies but at, at the very at the very least you're like that's an interesting swing you know what i mean like like that like that was a bold attempt and like I appreciate that you went for kind of such an audacious storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know, when, later if we we talk about like movies we're the most excited for this year, he has a film coming out um, called th- later this year called The Killer with uh, yep. Michael Fassbender. Yeah, with Michael Fassbender, and it's based on a really uh, wonderful French graphic novel uh, series uh, from like the eighties or nineties. Um, I could be totally wrong about that, but the the graphic novel upon which it's based is really excellent. So, I mean, that that might be like top three most anticipated for me. So with uh, Midwest Film Journal, do you get like you get early screenings or how does that work? Yeah, so it's not necessarily like specific to Midwest Film Journal, but um, essentially many different there are a lot of different things. There are a lot of different critic circles that exist. These are basically just groups formed by critics that, um, you know, when they form, they typically work to get like access to a publicist and that publicist will will work with the studios to be able to bring early screenings for press. Um, and, you know, the reason for that obviously is because uh, often studios want the press uh those good reviews that good word of mouth you know now it's all kind of just about the rotten tomato score right but right. uh but they they want that good word of mouth before the movie's even released right um because they want to be able to kind of tout that rotten tomato score so your average moviegoer is like wow i heard that's great like i can't wait till it comes out and um, so I'm in the Indiana Film Journalist Association, which it's kind of shocking, honestly, that Indiana even has its own film critic circle, you know, because not every state does. Um, you know, the major ones, there's like an L.A. and New York and a Chicago. Um, it, but, you know, so, so you I'm, guys I'm, are basically just as important as L.A., Chicago, and New York is what I'm saying. Yeah, I am basically <laughs> A.O. Scott from the New York Times, you could say. Uh, <laughs> it's it's, it's okay. Much, I have just as much uh, notoriety and clout as he does. No, but I mean, yeah, it, that's I'm very fortunate to be a part of that group because, you know, the readership of something I write is, you know, infinitesimal compared to, um, like I just mentioned, like A.O. Scott of the New York Times, right? <laughs> Somebody who makes their living doing this and um you know so i'm very fortunate to be in that but yeah we get 
we get press screenings for most things and um, digital screening links to see things early. And at the end of the year, probably the most exciting time is like award season and you get 30, 40, 50 movies mailed to your doorstep of all the movies they want you to consider for awards contenders. And they're all usually all the big movies everybody's talking about. So like, right. You know, that that's really cool. A lot of them it's like before they come out too. Um, and you'll have like an actual DVD of a movie that hasn't even been released in theaters. And like, that's kind of like a surreal feeling, at least for me as a movie obsessive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's maybe similar to, so when I worked at Flix, um, we would get like, it was called the key, uh, mm-hmm. to do like midnight screenings of, of some of the big movies. And it's like, I'm sure I'm just trying to picture like refreshing my email. And then I say, oh my gosh, there's the download. Like there's a link for me to watch like Guardians three before right. anyone else in the state. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, it's got to be surreal for sure. Yeah, it's a cool it's a cool feeling. I actually remember obviously our our mutual friend, my future sister in law, Logan Mason. Uh, you know she she would often tell me she was like, "Yeah, I saw blank last night." I'm like, "Oh, that's awesome. Um, that was a really cool perk of that job." Yeah, uh, shout out Logan Mason. Yeah, uh, her episode was so funny. Actually, Elliot's going to be on. Um, gosh, when is Elliot going to be on? Oh, he's going to be on uh, a couple weeks after you. So, Oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do- Dr. Very Chen. Forward. Yes, looking very much forward to hearing the, the musings of one Dr. Chen. Yeah, and I'm sure he's probably going to trash Logan's episode, which is what I'm looking forward to the most, let's be honest here. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he's a scathing critic, I can imagine. So were there times where, kind of off that, when Logan would, would you know, hit you up and be like, oh, man, we just saw John Wick, blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, yeah, it was pretty good. Like, you already saw it. <laughs> I, I try not to. Uh, <laughs> I try not to lord the very small privileges that i'm given <laughs> over people yeah that's old news uh, yeah oh yeah cool yeah which, no. which end credit scene did you like yeah. <laughs> the, the very like one of the very few like meager privileges i'm afforded uh it seems that maybe a week or two weeks early and uh yeah no i mean we would obviously you know we were roommates for a couple of years and that's right yeah yeah yeah. yeah, she obviously logan is a a wonderful person and i love living with her so it was great just chatting about movies she's very down to you know talk (laughs) you know get really deep on talks about like all different kinds of art really she's a really she's a really smart cat and uh but yeah so i I actually loved uh rooming with her because uh she was really down for even me to like nerd out and be like hey like you we need to watch this movie like you haven't seen this yeah watch it it was it was super fun yeah she was um she was definitely one of my favorite people to have on and uh i don't know if you listened to her episode but one of my favorite moments one of my favorite moments was she was reading a beer description and I was like, look, I use this one of the brands. I'm a huge soap nerd for some reason. So like SOAP. So um so so Dr. Squatch. I've been using Dr. Squatch soap for like almost four years now. And um I don't know, they're they're awesome. Check them out. But then there's this other brand called like Duke Cannon, which you can see in like your your Lowe's or your Home Depots or whatever. And their descriptions are so absurd and just, 
out of this world. And I said, hey, read this soap description. And she reads it like just with her voiceover yeah. like, tone. And I'm like, this is, this is one of the funniest things I've heard in such a while. She was awesome to have on for sure. Yeah, she's she's got a she's got a voice for uh she's got a natural fit for like podcasting her her yeah. voice. Um yeah. I, you know that every time I like listen to something I've been on, which I basically listen to like five seconds before I bail, because I'm like, that's what my voice sounds like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's a surreal like feeling hearing that. But yeah. Um I had to deal with that when I was uh when I started training at title boxing because like you were like I was like a fitness trainer like you wear like a headset so like I could hear myself in the intercom and I'm like I don't I don't like that it's the same as like when someone's like oh my gosh Mitch check out this video of you doing that I'm like that's what I sound like like <laughs> right, right, right why this isn't pleasant for me <laughs> no no yeah that that's really funny yeah and now I mean I used to do a radio show at um. IU where I went to oh. where I went to college with with a buddy of mine and um uh, it boosted my confidence a little bit some people would tell me like hey you actually have a pretty natural radio voice and I was like really yeah. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was interesting but yeah it wasn't a movie related radio show obviously it was like um it was a punk rock hour um called the big takeover that my friend Max and I would just you know play punk music and kind of shoot the shit in between songs. That's <laughs> yeah, awesome. And I uh, kind of shocked. They never, <laughs> they never intervened and were like, this, this is nonsense. But yeah. yeah, I had someone tell me, uh, I had a couple people once I like sent them a, some of my episodes, I was like, Hey, check this out. Like I just started this, whatever this podcast. You're like, Oh my gosh, your voice is perfect for this. I'm like, I, I guess it's I, I, all I say is like, it's the microphone. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hey, man, don't sell yourself short. You got a what? voice like a lava cake. Um, thank you. Is it one of those lava cakes that uh, is it Pizza Hut that has like the 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 liquid chocolate in the middle when you cut it open? Is that Pizza oh, Hut? Oh, better than Pizza Hut. You know, I, I, I'm just picturing like the. I don't even know if I've actually eaten a lava cake. I don't know where that simile came from, but uh, you know, <laughs> that's what I think of just silky smooth. I suppose. <laughs> um so you okay so what kind of music did you play on your punk radio show obviously punk but like what were some of that's true it was punk music um you know i'm i am also uh, a bit of a music nerd as well um you know it's not as all-consuming as my movie stuff has been in the past but a lot of like older stuff like i was a really i'm a really big fan of not to get too esoteric with my references here but um I'm a big fan of like 1980, early 80s, like Southern California, like hardcore punk music. So like Black Flag, like the oh, mid. Holy like, cow. Okay. We're in that realm. Yeah, like, I got like, you. I really, yeah. I really like that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I also, I love like, you know, a lot. I love all, all kinds of music. Um, That was just my buddy, Max, who I, I worked with and went to school with at IU he was really into that kind of stuff. And I, I, I love that. I love punk music as well. Um, and the older I get kind of, I find like the less I am in the mood <laughs> to listen to it all the time. Yeah. But uh, it's, yeah, no. So we, we, we would have that show and we would like make little playlists beforehand. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a really, it was a really good time. Uh, we were like, happy. 
the whole time pretty much but <laughs> i remember when i found out um i was like scrolling uh i think i was like scrolling through like youtube one time and i, I saw a clip of Hen- uh henry rollins of black flag <laughs> and he was on joe rogan i was like wait i recognize that guy but i first recognized him as being on sons of anarchy because he was on there for oh, yeah. just just a season or something like that. No, he he does a fair amount of acting. Oh yeah. Um, and then I was like, wait, is he in a band? And I looked it up, and it's like, dude, those guys are freaking wild. Yeah, they're they're an intense band. They really, um, you know, they they really didn't. A lot of those bands from that era, uh, a lot of those bands from that era really didn't last longer than a few years um especially because a lot i just you know i actually talked to a guy i was like at a a book reading my friend taylor is opening up a bookstore in indianapolis and there was like a they were doing a reading all these different authors and this guy who uh there was this guy there who wrote these books he wrote a book uh on bad religion um and he toured with bad religion and like wrote a whole book about them he also wrote a book co-authored a book with the original lead singer of black flag uh keith morris who like went on to front the circle jerks as well and uh i i was talking to him and um we, we were pretty much having a conversation about you know that era of music and he was pretty much saying like a lot of those bands you know they were incredibly um intense live performances often they would get like incredibly violent too. those uh live performances would be there would be fights breaking out in the audience and the band members would be involved in the fights like people would be coming up on stage and there were like drugs it just it was an incredibly destructive uh atmosphere so they just didn't last you know long you can't kind of go that hard you know that fast for uh like decades you know well that i mean that was like part of the scene though right where it was just kind of like hey we're gonna play the fast aggressive guitar riff the drums the screaming the yelling the the aggression in your face the shirts off the the basically tweaking out on stage which would basic which would turn to the crowd doing the same thing and everyone just getting fired up and that's just kind of how that scene would especially in like the late 80s and early 90s you look back like even the sex pistols or or some of those like those english uk punk bands that's what it was it was aggressive raspy screaming um leather jackets mess up there and a lot of like the you know like teenagers who would go to those shows half the time where they like would literally come there because they're like yeah we're gonna like destroy this property like yeah (laughs) <laughs> like, like we're gonna come in here and we are going to you know start tearing down stuff off the walls and and punching holes in the wall you know it was kind of a like a, a scary scene i imagine there was a um there's this venue in uh minnesota i used to play at so when i was in a band i was in a uh, hardcore uh kind of like more like a heavy uh pop punk band so like some screaming some kind of like poppy whatever and uh there was this venue um it was called the choir house and it was perfect for that setup and I, I we only played there once but it was it was on this property and it was like a double wide trailer essentially but stripped out okay and you go in there's a spot where this the 
a couple steps up and that's where like your your drum kit's going to be and your musicians musicians will be and then there was like a couch and then that's where like the uh like the fans and crowd would be and there was like holes in the wall and it was like that cheap like that that thin wood vinyl like just paneling around the place where it just looks like you're in a trailer and there was like spray paint probably never cleaned like the most worn down carpet ever and uh if that was one of those venues where it was like hey we're going to the choir house okay who's playing doesn't matter we're gonna go trash that place <laughs> right right yeah it's, it's more about the vibe it's more about the atmosphere you know what I yeah mean? it yeah. didn't really matter who was playing so no that's that's definitely that definitely has that that kind of uh 1980s hardcore spirit i'm glad that i'm glad that still exists to some degree yeah definitely kind of speaking of that did you ever see um it's a movie kind of um off of that sid and nancy with gary oldman yeah i did i did that's a pretty wild movie i think that's (laughs) director alex cox right pretty Um, wild yeah, he was a pretty punk rock dude, Alex Cox. He also made the film uh, Repo Man. I don't know if you've ever, if you're familiar with that movie. It's basically about it's got Emilio, a young Emilio Estevez in it from the '80s, and the soundtrack is amazing. I mean, it has all of those punk bands from the '80s, like Meat Puppets and Descendants and DOA and all those types of bands and uh he's this guy who's like a repo man like he repossesses people's stuff oh i've heard of this yeah and he's he's partnered with this older dude who's also a repo man and they're like doing drugs all day uh harry dean stanton plays the older guy and there's a scene where he's like i don't know a single repo man who doesn't do a lot of speed and uh (laughs) and they get in they get involved in this uh kind of government conspiracy involving ufos and like the movie turns super wacky like with aliens and crazy stuff but it's a cool movie i mean that is the definition of a cult film right okay. <laughs> like if you're um, like let's see i just added it to my watch list on letterbox do you use letterbox i sure do hell yeah man I yeah. um that was something that uh my buddy Josiah mentioned on his episode. He's like, "Hey, you should check this out." And it's I don't know why I'm so late to the game, but I love it, dude. My watch list is currently I have um I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but since I started this, I got like 82 films I want to watch in the next I don't know day. Um, one of them being I know you're a you're a huge uh nicholas cage fan i haven't seen pig yet oh yeah i loved pig um i almost sort of loved that movie more for like what it isn't than what it is in the sense that the movie obviously it's about like no spoilers but it's like about a dude who loses his pig and he's going to get it back um a truffle pig a truffle pig, yes, yes. And he lives out in the woods. He's, he's experienced this great tragedy a la John Wick. I mean, it literally sets itself up as like, this is going to be John Wick with a pig, you know? Um, sorry, Nicolas Cage. So obviously it's like, yeah, I'm there opening night. Um, but the movie is this, it's a film that, constantly threatens to verge into becoming uh like a like a violent revenge film 
but it never does. It's this just sort of melancholy tone poem almost uh, just about this guy sort of coming to terms with like the impact he's made on the world after he like left it um, to kind of retreat and live in the woods. He used to be this incredible chef and he kind of has to go back in this world. And um, it, and it's, it's, I mean, it really is just a quiet little drama about yeah, yeah. Like, loss and grieving. And I kind of loved that the movie toys with your expectations. And rather than this guy who sets out to go on revenge, it ends up being about this guy who like helps people heal and like he heals. And it's, it's an incredible movie. It's, I fully expected it to be just this goofy ass John Wick starring Nicolas Cage. I would still be on board for if they, if he wants his own John Wick, but um, the movie is really great. And Nicolas Cage gives a very, understated performance he does not uh he does not go full cage um so that and, and i also think that's another thing that the movie is purposely trying to kind of subvert your expectations from uh you know you're going in expecting this revenge movie and it's not that it's the opposite you are expecting nicholas cage to go insane he doesn't he's very quiet and reserved so it, you know it, it's an interesting movie but uh, yeah. I'd be curious to hear what you think of it when you check it out. Well, I had I, I wanted to watch it last night, but um, it was so nice outside. So I was outside like all day and the sun was hitting me. Dude, I was ready to go to sleep. I probably well, I took a nap at three, but I was ready to go to sleep at like six. So oh, yeah. I just I just couldn't I just couldn't get around to it. But it, it is on my watch list. Um, and. I can see your point where when I first saw the trailer, it seems like, oh, he's about to go John Wick on a truffle pig. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> yes, like 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 the the dog is now a pig, right? Oh. John Wick's dog is this guy. So I'm like and it's not, but it's it I'm kind of glad it's not because I think if it had just been that movie I initially assumed it to be. I, I do think that it wouldn't have like stayed with me as mm -hmm. long. You know? Like yeah. it's a movie that really gives you a lot to think about. And, you know, emotionally it resonates for a while. Whereas I think if it was just something like that, you know, you would have had fun watching it and probably never thought about it again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's on my watch list. I'll get around to it probably yeah. sooner rather than later. Um, what are, I feel like this is, most movie lovers kind of have a different opinion on this, but some of those movies where it's like, was a sequel really needed? Mm. You know, mm. and I know that could be a deep conversation, but um, and sometimes the sequel pays out. For example, the first the first movie I'm thinking of would be like X two or um, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty big X Men fan or Terminator two. Um, T2, I guess you can call it Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of those movies, it's like, why did we do a sequel? Bad Boys 2, great sequel. Oh, um, yeah. But it's like some of those, you're like, you know, we could have just left it at one and been fine. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that latter scenario that you're describing is typically the case, right? Where we see the sequel and we go, okay, maybe I didn't want that movie. Uh, yeah. 
I, I do think, you know, we're in a different time where, again, like not to totally go back on comic book movies, but where comic book properties are so dominant um, in terms of just like box office, but also just in sheer space of, you know, your local multiplex. You know, it seems like a lot of those movies are superhero films. And I do think those movies lend themselves to sequels a little bit better than most, right? Because they have so much source material to draw from. Um, you know, it's like, how do you make a sequel to a Batman movie? Well, just, you know, draw from another great Batman story. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. Find a new villain. You're good. Exactly. You know? um, but yeah, I mean, I will say that I think that this year has been oddly exceptional in terms of um wide release you know tentpole blockbuster sequels um in a way that you know usually in my opinion maybe i'm a, a bit of a snob or just a harsher critic on these kind of bigger movies but usually it's kind of to me amazing if there's one really good big summer action movie like if there's even just one i'm like wow the movies like it feels great to be back you know <laughs> um you know and uh it, not every movie needs to be like pig you know like this is a quiet yeah. little chamber drama and uh this year i thought between john wick uh volume four which to me i thought contained some of the most ambitious action sequences ever like that i've ever seen in my life and i've watched a lot of action movies it's so crazy because like each John Wick film, I wa I remember watching two. I well, I'll remember watching one forever, but like I remember watching two and seeing those sequences of the hand to hand combat, and I'm just like, you're because part of it is it's 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 that balance of this is so outrageous, but also not enough where it seems a little realistic because he's doing like jujitsu and hip tossing and like different like karate moves with grappling i'm like okay that's not too out of the norm we're so not in not... fast and furious that's territory. exactly exactly yeah. that's what i was gonna say i'm like okay he's not vin diesel driving off a cliff hitting a crane at the right time so it picks up the bumper of someone and throws them into a helicopter that's possible that. yeah and then the helicopter becomes a submarine and next thing you know like poseidon comes up like it's yeah, totally we're not... understandable the the movies are to me like especially John Wick Four. It's like they're cartoonish, but they're not. But they're cartoonish, but they are focused on really practical action set pieces. Right, that's like, a good way. Yeah, that's right, a good way. They're, it they're ridiculous. Like like what's happening is absurd, and like the world they take place in are absurd in a fun way. In a fun way, but. The action sequences you're watching, you can tell that is somebody doing that, right? Like, like, yeah, that guy is really riding a motorcycle, you know, like, you know, the he, Keanu Reeves is really doing those moves. Like, he's really working those nunchucks, you know, uh, and I, I think that's the, di I think that's the differentiator. And I also think that's like what made John Wick chapter four so incredible was just the sheer audacity of like the stunt work and just the inventiveness of um each set piece and the way yeah. they would everyone felt different from the last you know we're not just 
in a room he's fighting guys in a room he's fighting guys it's oh now he has like this type of weapon now we're in this setting like now here's a unique obstacle for him to overcome mm-hmm. you know it, it, it continually topped himself and when you see something like that it's almost so good in terms of just action that you're kind of like oh most action movies are kind of lazy that you know that we see or at the very least you know you're like oh right like this kind of puts everything else to shame um i saw that movie and then like a week later i saw the dungeons and dragons uh, movie, yeah it, which was like it was cute you know it was it was it was cute like it wasn't like i you know never thought about it again until like now really but um <laughs> The action, you watch, you know, just a week later seeing the action sequences of that. And I'm like, these are perfectly acceptable. But I literally just watched, like, <laughs> it's, like, unfair to watch this movie after John Wick, Chapter 4, <laughs> you know? So, kind of speaking of that, I feel like Dungeons & Dragons just reminds me of, like, you know, Game of Thrones. In a way, a little bit. Sure. And I feel like we experienced a moment where it was movies were lackluster and then TV shows were the shit. Like that's, that was where like great production was coming out. Do you feel like it's kind of flexing a little bit more back towards movies or is it still kind of like balanced? And honestly, I don't care either way. Like anything that's good, I will watch it. Right. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, you know what? I, this is funny because I was on my friend's, my friend Brent's podcast yesterday and he was talking about a couple of shows he was watching and one was called candy and the other was called love and death and they're both these true co- true crime tv shows about yeah. the same murder like the same murder or series of murders i don't know anything about the actual true crime and he's talking about them he's like yeah they're both coming out at the same time and they're both one starring jessica beale the other starring mary elizabeth winstead hmm. and i go what a time we live in right now with tv where there are two high budget, you know, miniseries starring A-list actresses, uh, you know, about the same exact crime, uh, you know. Yeah. That just speaks to, here's the thing with me right now is I do think we are at an at a point with TV where there is so much of it and it's almost ludicrous to me when we see when I see these TV shows that nobody seems to be watching, nobody I know is watching. I've never even heard of this show, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, they're starring like all these A-list actors, you know? And to me, I think, um, Jason, I, th- I think you're totally right in the sense that TV was kind of it and it still is like it, right? Um, I really think a big turning point was True Detective. Um, I was going to ask Woody you about Harrelson that too. Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. I don't know if you remember when that show came out. Here, you know, the fact that Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson were the leads in an HBO TV show was like crazy, right? It's like, these are movie stars. Why are they in a TV show? That is no, you know, TV is now just as high budget and brings just the kind uh, the same amount of like star caliber, right? Um, that movies can. Yeah. Um, but I do think that we are now with so many streaming services 
we are just like wading through like an overabundance of content. And sometimes I find myself like growing impatient when somebody's like, you need to watch this show after like six episodes, it gets really good. And it's like, uh, dude, I have to sit through six hours of TV before I start to like the show, you know? Um, whereas like I could just watch a two hour movie and like love it. Uh, yeah. Or if I don't like it, I invested far less time in it. And so I don't know, you know, I, it's tough to say, I think we're at this weird point where like the two are starting to meld together in a bizarre way. You know, we have like Netflix releasing huge movies. We have iTunes released or sorry, uh, Apple TV plus releasing like movies with giant stars, like ghosted, which is like some movie with Chris Evans that nobody saw. I heard about it. Yeah, I heard it wasn't very good, but it's like this huge movie. So I don't know. We're just we're just in a strange um, place with movies where I do think movies are going to have movies like I'm like it's a person, but like where <laughs> I think movie studios and theaters are going to have to work harder to bring people to the theater. Um, you know what? What can you show them that they're not going to be able to see on At their home? Yeah. So like, do you think it's a competition? Like where it's streaming versus like it's hard to say because ultimately both parties want what's best for the viewer and what's going to make them money so it's like is there a competition where it's like hey i'm gonna hbo or i'm sorry max is going to start streaming true detective and we're going to keep people in the house instead of going to watch a true crime film or something like that i think because ultimately like these studios like who owns hbo max or now as of like tomorrow or today max. <laughs> yeah um you know which why they thought that was a great idea i don't know but um you know warner brothers right owns max and and it has vested interests in both both mediums right both television and film mm -hmm. and obviously they're going to gravitate to where the money is. And I, I think that's ultimately where it is. It's like, it really is up and up to audiences, like where these bigger studios decide to put their, their effort. Right. Um, I'm another movie I can't wait for this year is uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, killers of the flower moon, which I want to talk to you about that too. Yeah. It's pretty near at a con film festival and is getting raves there. And, you know, that is Apple TV Plus. Shocker. Is Shocker. releasing that film. Now, I'm of two minds about this. One, they're giving it a theatrical release, which is great. I'm, gr I'm glad that they have decided to give it at least some theatrical run. The only reason they're doing that, I'm sure, is because that qualifies it for Oscar nominations. It had, for a movie to be nominated, it has to have some amount of theatrical run. Because that's what they did. They did that with um, The Irishman. Yep, because it came out in Netflix and they had what, like two weeks or something like that or three, whatever, which I'm sure the numbers were trash because it's a three hour film that you probably don't want to sit in theaters. If I can watch it on Netflix on my couch, pause it, go pee and come back. You know what I mean? This is also three and a half hours long. <laughs> at three, it's three and a half. And it's only because it's Martin Scorsese that I'm yeah. like. Like, all right, all right, boss. Like, show me I'll what you got. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll sit, I'll watch it in one sitting. Now, um, 
you know, so on, on one hand, I'm I'm grateful that uh, Apple TV Plus is putting this in theaters for any amount of time. Um, but you know what? What else is tough, though, Jason, is that I don't know if a film studio, I don't know if Martin Scorsese could bring this movie to Universal Pictures and say, hey, I have this three and a half hour movie about, you know, like Native American oppression and like yeah. and like genocide and murder and all these things that are very unpleasant subjects and be like can you give me 250 million dollars to make this movie or i don't know if that's the budget but i'm it has it has to have a large budget just looking at the trailer it looks gorgeous did and you read the book i did not my uh my good friend garrett and uh, my other friend whose name is also mitch they were both talking to me about it yesterday, and they said it's an excellent book. I think I that might be one of those ones where um, I would like to read before watching because, spoiler alert, uh, last year I actually decided to embark more on reading, which mm. I I know, and I I dude, I'm I'm 33. I feel like I should have done it long ago, right? But dude, it's never too late. It's never yeah, too late. It's, it's 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 a hobby. It's a lifelong hobby. And um, I start to kind of like see the appreciation of like if I'm reading something and then I watch something after that, I'm like, oh, shit, because I've I've kind of done the backwards effect where um, Hmm. not to go too off topic, but when you mentioned True Detective, I wanted to talk to you about probably my top three, maybe maybe number one show of all time, Mindhunter. Um, Okay. It's, yeah. it's without a doubt one of my favorite shows. And Back to David Fincher. David Fincher, yep. And I have the book for it, so it's kind of cool because I watched the film or I watched the TV show and then I was reading the book with that. I'm like, oh, I can kind of see this a little bit. Now, the book doesn't really go with it too much, um, but I would like to get more into reading. But that was one thing that stood out to me because I knew, I knew when uh, the trailer came out and I was like, man, I sh- I feel like this might be a book I should read to appreciate the film more. You know, I I read an interview with Martin Scorsese that was both incredibly inspiring and depressing at the same time, um, because Martin Scorsese was essentially saying that he was like, hey, I'm 80 years old now, and I'm coming to the tough realization that. I have so many more stories I want to tell and it's too late. Like, which I I thought was both, which I thought was kind of depressing. And I shared that insight with a friend and my friend made a good point. He was like, well, honestly though, like to me, because my friend Eric, he's an artist himself. And he was like, to me, you know, someone who's an artist being 80 years old and being like, my mind is still racing with ideas of things I want to do and things I want to tell. And I have so much creative energy. He's like, he's like, to him, he's like, that's inspiring to me. Like, you know, that I could, you could still be so hungry to tell a story. And I guess that brings me back uh, to what I was saying earlier is like, you know, despite kind of streaming versus going to the movies, there is something to be said that, you know, Netflix and now, you know, uh apple tv plus they're willing to let martin scorsese make this giant mega budget three and a half hour movie totally to his vision right like most studios wouldn't even allow you to 
make a movie that long, whether you're Martin Scorsese or not, you know? So there's obviously some kind of give, there's some give and take there. I don't know if like Apple TV plus is going to make a bunch of money. Do you think there's less personnel or less poll? Like let's say for example, like Warner brothers is such a huge, there's so many people involved, so many different, I don't know, moving parts compared to like, Hey, let's just pick a streaming service, which a big streaming service, right? Like Netflix or something. I mean, Apple TV, I, I haven't uh, joined onto that yet. There's a couple shows and originals I really want to watch, but it's like, I feel it's probably easier. Like, Hey, let's just go to the streaming service. They probably don't have 25 vice presidents. They probably have one, maybe five. Who knows? Right. Like you can, you could persuade a smaller group a little easier. I think it's, I think, and I'm curious for, I'm, it'll be interesting to see how long this goes on for, but I guess from my perspective, it's less than even there's like, it's less like, oh, hey, there's a small amount of, there's less decision makers here. Mm -hmm. It's more of a factor of like, these streaming services are like, hey, we also want to compete with movie theaters. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, we don't want to just compete with other streaming services. We want to compete with movie theaters. And guess what? How do we stand out as a streaming service? We're releasing the next next Martin Scorsese movie. Like we release high quality stuff. Like that is why I, in my opinion, why HBO has managed to survive. They don't release nearly as many shows as your Netflix or what Peacock, whatever the hell. Like, um, <laughs> but HBO actually kind of maintains its loyalty and its viewership because they have a high quality like you know what i mean like like they have a consistent high quality over all of the shows they produce oh um, i think they're i think they're the best streaming service in my opinion yeah and and you know you can't really say that about netflix like netflix you have to wade through a sea of garbage to find like one really amazing show like they still put out some quality stuff but you know it's it's just such a, a massive catalog to sift through Whoa. and when they do release a good movie or a good show they don't even like market it <laughs> yeah and honestly what's keeping it alive in my it, what i think is keeping netflix alive is their originals i mean stranger things season four was incredible television um their stand-up comedies i think are still st i mean i'm a huge horror fan yeah yeah, they're and holding that stand-up game pretty strong. They, they, they definitely hold that. Um, what do they got? They got Bridgerton. They got um, some other... Uh, well, Mindhunter, like I mentioned earlier, which, please give me a season three. That's all I want. Anyone listening yeah. out there, let's let's push for that one, okay? David, um, are, you, are, you, are you here with us? <laughs> yeah. Like, I... Dude, it... I don't know what it is. If, like when I grew up watching horror films or something, but like I, I remember watching some serial killer documentaries with, with my dad, great bonding. Right. But it was okay. more so we would just watch it and be like, these people are so strange and so bizarre. And it's just so twisted and weird and kind of comical in a way. Not that people were being killed, but like, just like how people are like, this dude is wild. And I don't know if that's why I'm just drawn to Mind Hunter or if it's the um the true crime solving, the the interviewing people, the casting, the acting is incredible in that show. Um yeah. but anyways, yeah. So like what I'm saying is 
Netflix, they're great with their originals. HBO, I think, has probably the best overall quality of, of a catalog, if that makes sense. Um, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I totally agree. I think, I think, you know, Netflix is not, obviously they're probably still the most subscribed to of all streaming services. It's yep. just, yeah, they're the like, planet, they're the planet fitness of streaming service. Yeah. They definitely go quantity over quality and they're going to release some high quality stuff, but like they also just release whatever so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. So yeah, no, I mean. I think that's why it is. I think that is the one upside. It seems for whatever reason, the streaming services right now are pretty keen on giving directors like total creative control in a way that studios wouldn't. And I think a lot of directors know that. I think somebody like Martin Scorsese knows that despite him being like a legendary uh, filmmaker, I think he knows that, hey, if I want to make this movie, if I want to even get funding to to make it, I'm going to probably have to go to a streaming service. Yeah. So, I mean, big yeah. ups to him, you know? Yeah. No, man. I mean, hey, dude, if I'm doing anything at 80, like, that's pretty cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, like, well done. Like, especially if you're still being creative at that at that age, I, you know, more power to you. That's awesome. Have you seen, um, man, I can't believe I watched this movie. This was like four years ago. It was one of the darkest grossest twisted films i've watched okay, uh, okay. um and i think it's it's probably known when it comes to that description uh it's with justin long which i i i will watch almost anything with him it's called tusk <laughs> yeah dude not dude. only have tusk um <laughs> that's wild that you brought up this movie because that's literally a movie nobody talks about um so no one I, talks about it because it's like you almost have this weird like like I'm ashamed I've seen it but then when you say it you're like oh I watched it. like I'll I'll scroll through like if I come across some video on TikTok or or Instagram or or YouTube they're like oh man I just watched the darkest film it was called this and some random person in the comment section will be like no you should watch Tusk Yeah so that's a movie that I mean I could have a whole podcast on Tusk. Um, so, cause when I was in college, I worked at this restaurant called the village deli and uh, we worked in the kitchen and it was a super fun environment to work in. Like the job sucked, but I made so many friends working there. And there was a night when a bunch of us went and saw Tusk because uh, I, I used to be a pretty big Kevin Smith fan back in the day in terms of his movies. Yeah. Like, I mean like clerks chasing Amy horrible horrible films but um clerks and chasing amy and stuff I, those kind of were movies that i was exposed to at like the perfect age to be like whoa this is really speaking to my sense of sensibility kind of the same kind of the same yeah which is both like extremely crude you know 14 year old boy you know humor like oh have like you seen mall rats yeah, exactly. Like I love Mallrats. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, like just a lot of dick jokes, and um, he kind of has the sort of profane poetry when his characters speak uh, about pop culture and nerd culture, and yeah, you know. Uh, I thought in Mallrats the conversation they have about like would Superman's seed explode through his condom and like kill like and kill Wonder Lois Woman Lane. or no, not Wonder Woman, Lois Lane. Yep, Lois Lane, and only Wonder Woman would be able to like bear unless um, he had. 
no, he needed a kryptonite condom, but that's that's it. Okay. That would kill him. Yes. Yeah, so, anyways, <laughs> I I that that was like a my, hilarious and mind blowing to me as a kid, and um, so I I kind of still will follow his work, and um, you know, when Tusk came out, I was really intrigued by it because it's him doing like a David Cronenberg style body horror film so i was like i can't even imagine what this is like and the movie like honestly the first half of the movie i found really compelling and the reveal of yeah the dude in the walrus suit we were going nuts in the theater because that it was just ridiculous like it was not at all what we expected um then unfortunately it felt like kevin smith was like hey, I can get Johnny Depp in my movie, so I'm just going to let Johnny Depp, like, improv for 30 minutes straight. Because <laughs> it's like, because it's like, we then get to a scene where Johnny Depp is literally just talking for 30 minutes in a weird Canadian accent. And it's like, I get it, Kevin Smith. You're excited that you got a big A-list actor in your goofy little low-budget horror movie. But I also, completely like, forgot he was in there. Yeah, oh, it, he's, the whole, like, second act of the movie is, like, Johnny Depp just talking at a table with a weird Canadian accent. It just kind of stops the movie dead in its tracks, and, you know, no shade on Johnny Depp or anything, but I was like, this is not your best performance. <laughs> and, like, you know, so, it's, I, you know, it's an interesting movie, and but anyways, that movie was, like, a the longest running inside joke at this kitchen we all worked with. Like um, we would reference Tusk all the time. Uh, so it's just crazy that you brought that up. Cause that is not a movie that gets uh, brought up on. Probably. Well, it is one of those movies where you're like, dude, we're going to remember this moment. Like it's like, if you're watching with a group of friends and like, you can reference that later on, you're like, Hey man, you want some tea or something like that? <laughs> Or, right, or, yeah. or something along those lines where you could reference like remember when we saw the most twisted film maybe not the most twisted but I think in the last 10 years it's probably one of the grossest darkest twisted but in a way it's comedic that it is that extreme you know what I mean oh yeah I mean it's kind of it shows you some things that like you're, that are so grotesque and you know such an absurdist way that like yeah your only response is really to laugh um yeah but i'm i'm one of those weirdos that to me you know not so much now but there was a time when i was like in high school and college that if i just heard a movie was extremely fucked up um that would pretty much be enough for me to be like i'll go see that see it yeah exactly (laughs) yep same dude (laughs) and now i'm sort of like now I'm sort of like, okay, like, is this movie going to have bring anything of value to me in terms of like entertainment? You know, um, that just doesn't do it for me as much. And I think probably a lot of that's due to just the fact that I've numbed myself with yeah. so many movies for the past 25 years that uh, things don't really shock me anymore. And if I just sense that all a movie is trying to do is just shock me, I'm not going to be very impressed. I think. Um, I don't, I can't take credit for this saying, but somebody once said, like, somebody once told me that, Hey, it's really easy to startle someone, to shock someone, right? Like 
you can walk into a room and I could go, you know, and like jump out at you. And like, that would, that would startle you. Right. Yeah. Uh, But it's genuinely hard to scare someone, to frighten someone. Right. Like that's takes skill in a movie to do that. Right. But if a movie just wants to show you some gross shit or do a bunch of jump scares, it's like, cool. Okay. You did that. And yes, I agree. That's disgusting. Um, but I, I, I do think I think Tusk is a little more than that. There is some like genuinely effective tense set pieces, I thought, and some some a pretty some pretty good performances from Justin Long and Michael Parks that uh, made it worthwhile to me. You have a um, I feel like there was that long span where every horror movie just sucked. There wasn't really anything that was like kind of um, original or scary, and then. To me, it was The Conjuring 1, the first one. When that one came out, I was like, okay, now now scary movies are somewhat back. Do you have anything like you could relate to that? Like, do you could you think of one that was like, dude, for the longest time, like everything is just like, here we go. Another one, whatever. Another 85 minutes of my life. Here we go. (laughs) Well, I I will say this, like to me from an you know, being a movie nerd, I watch a lot of indie films and like, you know, maybe under the radar stuff that not everybody necessarily seeks out. And to me, I think there's always been some pretty good indie horror films. Those haven't necessarily stopped. But I will say that over the past several years, I do think horror, mainstream horror is much better than it was, I would say, 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. That doesn't mean every movie that comes... It's not like we're getting masterpiece after masterpiece after masterpiece. Like, I'm not saying, you know, things are incredible, but, like, for example, the other week I went and saw Evil Dead Rise. Um, remake, though. It, it's a sequel or a reboot. It's not a remake. It's not, like, a direct remake. Okay, because there's only one Bruce Campbell. I just want to be clear on that. Oh, couldn't agree more. Um, and they don't, <laughs> they don't even, and what I liked about this movie is that they don't even try to imitate, you know what I mean? Like they, they aren't, it's not, they're not trying to outdo the original classic, like right. trilogy that movies. This one takes place in like an apartment high rise and it does stick to kind of the core concepts even though it kind of changes the setting from the woods to like a city apartment um where you know we read the evil book things go batshit nuts but the movie does kind of stick to like what we like about the evil dead movies which are is just incredibly shocking goofy violence just like almost slapstick levels of carnage and uh it, it, it does some innovative things with gore that I haven't seen before. And to me, look, I'm not going to say that's the best movie of the year. I'm not even going to say it's the best horror movie that's going to come out this year. But the fact that I think this is indicative of like where we are with horror movies, which is a pretty good place, which is like that is just a random sequel that came out this year. And like, it's a really fun time at the movies. And I think, you know... I just think horror is much more consistent than it was. I think last year we had like X, we had Barbarian, which I thought was a really great time. Pretty good. That was enjoyable. Justin Long again. 
Yeah, and again, like these aren't necessarily like masterpieces, but like we never were in a period where every horror movie was a masterpiece, or we were getting multiple. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, movies like Pearl, and um, you know, I just I think we're in a good place right now where mainstream horror is actually um, pretty solid and consistent for the most part. I mean, even a movie like that, I think 10 years ago, if a movie like smile came out, that one with like the creepy smile, yeah, mm-hmm. like, that probably would have been trash, but no, they actually got a pretty talented filmmaker and had a pretty talented actress that, you know, in the, at the center of it. And, and what's respect, honestly, what's respectful about it. Or like what I respect about it is it's different in its own right. A smile is what I'm talking about. Like it's 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 a little different. Like, hey, I'll respect that you're trying something new and and whatnot. You know, I'll give you that. And it's tapping into uh, you know, I think some of the best movies like tap into rather like mundane fears. And like there is just an on a lizard brain level, like there is something creepy about somebody just kind of like emptily, like an empty smile, like a vacant smile. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. something a little creepy about that. And it's, you know, I I, I could appreciate uh, a movie, you know, being clever and just tapping into something that simple. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Where like they just have that blank stare and you sense nothing behind their eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, I, so, I mean, again, not saying it's like the best movie ever, but it was uh, enjoyable for what it was. It wasn't total garbage, like where I think we were in a pretty dire time in the mid, during the 2000s and even some of the 2010s, um, the early 2010s where a lot of, you know, wide release horror films were like preteen garbage. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree with that. Um. So what uh I feel like there's a lot of movies coming out this year that mm-hmm. obviously well the big one for me would be Oppenheimer. Uh that's July. I think that's the same weekend as Barbie actually. It is. It is hell of a weekend. Yeah, man. Double header, huh? <laughs> oh, I'll, dude, I'll I'll see both of those opening weekend for sure. Um <laughs> for sure. Uh I mean, look Greta Gerwig, who's directing Barbie, directed her last two movies, Little Women, which I could not even believe how much I loved that movie. I was like, do we really need another adaptation of Little Women? We did. It was the best one yet. <laughs> and um, her film, uh, Lady Bird, which I also thought was like such oh. a beautiful kind of coming of age story. So this being her third film, I'm like, she could be making anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah. I would be, I would be like in line to see it yeah no i get that um what movies would you recommend this year yeah so what have i seen this year that i really loved i mean you know i won't go with the obvious picks although i did love them and recommend them but like guardians of the galaxy john wick 4 like dude what did you think of guardians i could not believe how much i loved it for somebody who's so right I'm so checked out of the MCU at this point. Right. Uh, and I was shocked by how much I loved it. I think it's by far the best one. And, you know, it's kind of felt like a Pixar movie where it's like, 
okay, I can see the strings here. Like I can see how you're manipulating my emotions in a very like direct way, uh -huh. but I don't really care because it's so effective. Like you're showing me things that like, of course I'm going to have an emotional reaction to the sight of a bunch of like caged animals crying, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's oh like, man. Yeah. Like, like, of course that's going to wreck me. But the movie was so well done and the story was so satisfying that I was like, that's fine. Like I surrender. Like this is really, this is really um, well, enjoyable. And it kept it like true to what Guardians is, where it's like you have the community, you have like kind of like that family base, but also the bright, obnoxious colors, the the comedic relief, the soundtrack. Um, I, I thought it was great. It didn't seem like I was having comedy shoved in my face, and I think it's because. Like from the first movie, the first introduction we've ever had with Guardians, there's always been like some humor and, and whatnot, but also like good action and good storyline compared to something like um, when Thor Ragnarok came out. That was the first time we saw like comedy with the Thor character, like at least that much. Right. Oh, and then, so then it was like this just seems kind of like natural, funny. This is hilarious. And then when Love and Thunder came out, it was like. You're just shoving it in my face at this point. Like I, I like you don't you don't have to. But opposite of that, Guardians, I think they just kept it true to how they typically are and and I, it was it was probably one of my top I hate like ranking films because if you ask me in 5 minutes it's going to be a different one, but at least MCU movies it was for sure top 5. Yeah, maybe I mean top 3, maybe. I don't know. I'm still riding high on it from like last weekend, but I would say like that alongside like the original Iron Man, those might be like kind of neck and neck for my favorite MCU movies. And, mm -hmm. you know, as far as, um, you know, new stuff that's come out this year that I really enjoyed, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go off the beaten path a little and re recommend some, a couple indie movies. I think that maybe a lot of people hadn't seen. And maybe if you're, if you're willing to kind of, uh, invest be patient with one of these at least i think you might find it rewarding um the first one is uh this indie kind of thriller that i watched called how to blow up a pipeline uh, is the name of the the movie and should that be the title of this episode yeah how to blow up a pipeline <laughs> maybe it should uh <laughs> it might might get you put on a couple watch lists but uh hey it's publicity um, man i'm fine with that so the movie's basically about like this group of like early 20s. They're like essentially they're eco-terrorists. So um they're people who are um really concerned about like the climate crisis and all of that stuff and they basically kind of feel the need to um work outside the system if you will. They <laughs> you know to put it lightly. They're like okay, you know they're so concerned about this and you know they don't feel they feel like they're kind of backed into a corner so they I mean, the movie is literally almost a heist film, but much darker where you're like, you're watching these people make a bomb and in, in set into action a way to blow up an oil pipeline. And um, the movie is incredibly tense. Uh, the movie's incredibly tense. It's really effectively made. And, uh, you know, you know, things are probably not going to end well for these characters because obviously... Um, these are people who are like willing to blow up a pipeline. Like they're they're making, they're making they're making some pretty reckless choices that are going to probably catch up with them. Um, 
And uh, so I, I thought that was a really effective, like little indie thriller. If you're looking for something, um, you know, a little unusual, really good. Uh, my only complaint is I would say that the characters you're following are a little bit obnoxious, but I guess that's probably true to life, right? If you're like an eco terrorist, you probably don't ever shut up about <laughs> the cause that no, you're never. committed to. So never. I at first I was like, these guys are kind of annoying, but then I was like, they're probably supposed to be kind of annoying. <laughs> like, Dude, like, I struggle with that on like certain TV shows or movies I watch where I'm like, I freaking hate this person. But like for some reason, the way it's displayed, it makes me like hate the actor or something I'm like, oh, they're actually doing a very good job. I just hate the character. You know what I mean? Like it's working. Their performance is working. (laughs) But yeah, so I I would say, um, I would say that's how to blow up a pipeline is definitely worthwhile. I would also recommend um, a movie I saw just over the weekend called master gardener, which is um, the newest film by Paul Schrader. He's Paul Schrader is, um, he's really up there. He's late in his career at this point. He's probably best known for writing a lo- as a writer. He wrote Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Um, he likes to make movies about what who he calls God's Lonely Man. And his protagonists are typically um, very tight-lipped, troubled men with violent pasts. They're essentially like incels almost but like okay and, uh, but there but there's he paints these really complicated portraits of these kind of like violent men who live these very solitary lives lives and um this is the last of a trilogy he made so the first one is a movie called first reformed he made with ethan hawk um back nice. in like 17 then he made a movie called the card counter which is the second one with oscar isaac that came out a couple years ago good uh, and this new movie is The Master Gardener. Um, and it, yeah, it stars Joel Edgerton. He's a little lesser known, but... Um, oh, I yeah, know. I, I, I honestly think he's like one of those actors that doesn't really get um, too much recognition. Similar to... in Well, kind of similar to Ethan Hawke. I think Ethan Hawke's a great actor. He just doesn't really get like that... He doesn't always yeah. get the best platform. You know what I mean? Well, Ethan Hawke... I admire Ethan Hawke because he seems like a guy who is just content to do these little indie movies that he's passionate about. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, like, Ethan Hawke is like, like, and then he'll do something like Moon Knight so he can get a paycheck and then go back to the indie. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and to me, it's not like he even does it in a condescending way where he's like not putting in any effort or anything. It's just like, he loves to just be in that artsy indie world and like, good for him. He's a great actor and he should do what he wants. Um, but, you know, I would say uh, Master Gardener is great. If you like Joel Edgerton, I mean, this is probably the best performance I've seen him give. Um, he plays a a gardener. He's like a horticulturist. And he works on this. Um, he works on in this garden he, at this estate. And uh, you learn some things about his past that are pretty troubling. And they start to kind of coincide when this... Um, new girl starts to work on the grounds that he's kind of the apprentice for uh this guy's movies are like not for everybody just anybody who takes this recommendation they are slow paced they're very low on incident not a lot happens or you kind of have to just be willing to sort of uh it's, it's not like how to blow up, blow up a pipeline where it's just moving at a 
super fast pace and you can't wait to see what happens next. This is kind of a movie where you're just sort of basking in kind of the dread of this guy's life. Um, it's a good feel bad movie. If, uh, if you're, oh, if you're okay. Yeah. I just added it to my watch list. So, yeah. Yeah. I would start with first reformed if you haven't. Um, okay. okay. Yeah. That, that is, that is an excellent one with Ethan Hawke and that's the first of the, the trilogy. Um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, so I would, I would say, you know, those two movies definitely worth seeking out, you know, amidst all the, uh, big blockbuster stuff that's out as well. I wanted to ask you too, if you have a movie, I think over the years, there's been a lot of films that have been snubbed from like, like Oscar recognition or whatever, or, or like some of like the big name awards. Can you think of one off the top of your head? Where you're oh, like, you know a what? movie that was really snubbed for awards. Man, off of the top of my head, I know there's so many out there. Like, I I have one. If, if I think you want me horror to horror is is like back to horror. Like, I think that is a genre that is often not taken as seriously as others. I think. I mean, if you really want to talk about like Tony Collette, uh, she was incredible and in Hereditary, and I think she should have easily gotten the the nomination for that um but she did not that genre that does get snubbed quite a bit yeah because i think you know hereditary's movie about demons and crazy yeah. stuff and i yeah. you know i i get it i think some people unfairly view that as kind of schlocky but um i that that's one that really stands out to me i also would say uh again in the horror genre this would never get nominated, but there was a movie that came out last year called Pearl with uh, an actress named Mia Goth. Um, oh, dude, she is like trending hard lately as like the next horror queen. Um, Well-deserved because yeah. she was unbelievable in this film, Pearl. And then she was in another movie that came out this year called Infinity Pool, um, yep. which is this gruesome, bleak amazing science fiction film um and she just gives an uh, a delightfully unhinged performance and that uh she's she can play scary very well and uh you know i think either of those performances should have you know i mean there's no world in which infinity pool uh gets <laughs> an oscar nomination but i think it <laughs> i think she deserves it for that movie she also just got announced to be in uh, Blade with Marvel Studios. Yes, I be interesting. They are. They are. I could not have less faith in an MCU Blade movie, and yet that casting. They keep adding people to the cast who are incredible. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> well, yeah. like they had PG thirteen Blade movie. Like that's kind of my thought, dude. They had like director changes they had delays in production like those are always typically signs of we'll see how this is going to go because they're probably working on like a time crunch or something and you're just gonna have to rush through it right but i'll still watch it i mean wesley snipes blade was one of the most badass technically most so badass, badass. Super, yeah um, some I'm, motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill <laughs> <laughs> Dude. so awesome um, um but yeah my, my only thing is like do i want a disney blade movie like do no. i want a blade movie not now not right now. It just, yeah and it's just 
I, I want it to be good. I'm going to go see it and hope that it's good. I just can't help but be a little hesitant, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Circling back, I did want to say the one movie I feel is the most snubbed. And I'm not trying to be biased because I like Paul Dano. I like Jake Gyllenhaal. It's got to be Prisoners for me. That is one of my... Probably one of my favorite movies. Um, maybe maybe top three. Probably top. That, three that's movies. a great great movie, and I would also say uh, a bit underpraised. Maybe I, I think mean, so. Yeah, I not think like so. people. It's not like nobody's seen it or anything, but I don't really see it brought up in the conversation of like best of that decade, which I think it absolutely deserves to be there. Yeah, because it came out in like 2013. So yep. I remember um, seeing it in theaters. Yeah, it it was one of my favorite movies. I remember when I first watched it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was just drawn into it. And then there was, I didn't think of it at the time until what, what I typically do is like, I'll watch a new movie and I'll immediately go online right after. I'll look up like what other people are thinking, kind of pick other people's brains and kind of read what they're saying. And there was someone who was like, the in-depth meaning is like every character um, is basically a prisoner in some way. So whether it's like Hugh Jackman who like, hey man, you're a prisoner in realizing you're kind of a failure as a father because you lost your child or your your child is kidnapped and you, you don't know what to do. So you are trying to like fight through this depression or this insecurity or something you have paul dano who is a prisoner of his um is it mom or aunt i think so well it's it's like it turns out right to be a woman who was neither she had kidnapped him right um that's right yeah because he was the boy who was kidnapped outside that house yeah yep okay you're right i mean it's it really is like who's the real prisoner you know um yeah it's it's very true um the yeah i i think that that's like a very thematically interesting movie and just one that is gorgeously shot as well i think like roger the cinematography for that and he always crushes it uh so that yeah no that is definitely one of my probably favorite movies of that decade Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve did that, yeah. Um, He's doing the Dune movies now. Oh, dude, Dune 2 is coming out. But, like, here this cast, man. You got Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, Terrence Howard, Paul Dano, Viola Davis. Yeah, yeah, like... Like, we're just not going to talk about this movie? (laughs) Yeah, like, banger, 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 banger. (laughs) Like, all incredible actors. Yeah, I mean, and they're, they're not, like, your you know over the top like Meryl Streep so like the you know the people you always think of it's like when you look you're like oh yeah like they're all excellent performers they all give great performances yeah um, no, that's that's an excellent film excellent film um well besides movies man uh you got a wedding you're planning how's that going it's going pretty well i got to say um devin is really <laughs> Like going fast and furious on the planning. Um, and I, I almost try to like, you know, it's it's tough because as you know, as 
like me personally, there's so much stuff that you don't necessarily have an opinion on that you all of a sudden have <laughs> yourself having to have an opinion on, if you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like how things are folded at tables, you know, there's like not something I ever thought I would have an opinion on, but you know, you mm-hmm. kind of are forced to have one. So, I mean, I'll be honest, like Devin is like leading me through every step and every decision. I'm incredibly grateful for her. Um, so I, I, I usually just try to make her life around it as least stressful as possible because we're we're doing a bunch of the planning ourselves. Um, yep. And, you know, in re- we're having our wedding in Hawaii as well. So like nice. it is awesome. It's also uh, way harder to plan a wedding when you can't go and meet the people that you're planning with. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's and it's just not something you consider like, it's actually very hard with that kind of time difference to get people on the phone. Um, Hawaii, everything seems to move incredibly slow there. They seem to not be in any rush to like. Dude, they're just they're in a vibe. They're in a vibe the whole time, whatever, you know. Which is totally sick in every other regard, but um, definitely in the sense of like planning wedding, it's like okay, this is a challenge. It's taking a while, but that said, we have, you know, knock on wood here, um, we have like passed all the most difficult parts of the that's wedding. good that's good like, like like the stuff that's left is mostly just the checking the boxes and there's there's some essential stuff we need to take care of but the hardest and the biggest things are taken care of so that's awesome that's good man um yeah we so we did everything we are six months uh married and- congratulations Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it was one of those things like when we were planning, we um, our process was a little different. So it was kind of like, let's look up venues first and then find the dates that they're available. Right. So a little different than Hawaii. Like we could at least go and check them out in person, you know. And um, once we did that, we we're like, all right, this place is awesome. And, and kind of like what what's included, what's not. So then you kind of start to weigh out like we have to do outside catering or we have to supply this, supply that. So like there is more like work involved. It's a little more tedious. But once it all comes together, man, it's just so nice. And it, it it's also one of those things where I felt like once all the big things were were planned, were taken care of, I was like, all right, we're we're kind of chill. And then she'll drop like some notes like, no, we still got to figure out tablecloths and then like how to fold the napkins and and yeah. make sure we get centerpieces. I'm like, oh, OK. I was thinking like the venue. We got the food. <laughs> right. We got the person like like we have. It was nice because we use we use some um some of our like the friendships I've gained over the years. So like our bartender was someone I bartended with Netflix, um, the beer that was provided. Um, were people I knew in the brewery industry. Um, nice. You know, so it was like kind of like I had that set up. And then um, the photographer was someone we found, you know, probably on like Instagram, typical, right? And like we, we got all those like the, the the big things taken care of. And I would I just kept telling everyone I was like, yeah, like we're, we're doing pretty good. Do you like we got this? And she would look at me. No, we still got to order this or we still have to do that. I'm like, all right, I guess that makes sense. There are so many layers that you do not even consider to like every step of planning has like 11 layers below it. You know what I mean? Yeah, And you don't you don't see it. You don't think about it. And also like because it's the first wedding I've ever planned. So it's like 
it's like I've been to weddings. I see that someone has their food figured out. I don't understand all the steps that go into that. I just feel like, oh, they got someone with food. Cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, So until you do it yourself, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess we have to do this too and do that. But I mean, it's one of those things too where there was a couple things like the day of where I got a little like stressful or annoyed of with just like, why isn't this happening properly? But at the same time, you're like, look, we've done all the hard work, like we're yeah. here we made it we made it here like it's just it's easy breezy at this point so uh, oh for sure i mean yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to when like all the planning is done and you can really just be like super excited you know i mean yeah. that, I'm, you're already super excited but it's mm-hmm. like it's like also like things you have to get done and it'll be cool when you could just be like everything is just like almost like quote unquote like waiting for me in hawaii you know yeah yeah. So are you guys aiming for, I'm assuming, next year? Yeah, January 10th. That's the day. Nice, dude. Um, do you Are you guys going out at all before then? Or is it pretty much like a week before that? Or or what? No, like, how, we how's are, that going? Like, we are not going to Hawaii at all before um, before the actual wedding day. So it, it will be interesting. Um, but we have, like, a coordinator and everything like that. So hell yeah, that, that coordinator will... FaceTime us, like go to the places and like tell us like what the experience was like and things like that. So that that is a massive, massive help. Dude, they help so much. Like we hired a day of coordinator and it was like, look, we've already done all the planning and the organizing. Their main thing was like, we show up, they say, hey, guys, we're going to do, uh, we'll do first look photos here. We're going to have rehearsals here. All right, little break. Let's have lunch. Just make sure you're here at this time. And like we had the criteria and timeline written out. So we're like, it got to a point exactly where we wanted. And what some of our friends told us was like, what you want on the day of is to be waiting for something where you're just like, kind of like sitting you're like, yeah, I got like 45 minutes before I have to like get dressed. You know what I mean? Right. You don't want to be setting up the things and rushing people from place to place like yeah you want to be like getting told what to do and where you want to just be chill yeah and it's like it ends up just being a long day so yeah because you you don't want anything that could even possibly make you feel stressed out on like you know what i mean like an incredible and honestly like you'll be in such a great mood that it probably will be very difficult to be stressed out but yeah you just want it to go smoothly and you want somebody to be taking care of that yeah. Plus, it's like if you are stressed out, what are you gonna do, man? Like, look, it's 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 kind of like too late. So it's like, yeah. hey, the wedding is happening. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> happening. So yeah, I... like, oh shit, uh, yeah. great. There will be a ceremony. Yeah, like great grandma, mama doesn't have the emerald green napkin. She has a white one. Shit, like it's fine. Whatever, dude. Yep, yep. Like we're in the moment now. Like we're just gonna get married. So yeah. now I'm I'm obviously very fortunate and I'm incredibly excited as well. For sure, man. Well, Mitch, my man, it was an honor. You can come back anytime. This is a lot of fun. Oh um, yeah, dude. Love the chat. Yeah. Well, especially with like so many movies coming out this year. Like I think we should probably Yeah, if you, if you want if you want me to pop in for some quick uh guest spots, give you the rundown of what's going on, I'm happy anytime. to anytime. Happy to give you a new release rundown anytime. Anytime, man. 
All right, where can everybody follow you? Uh, I know you got Midwest Journal and everything. Yeah, yeah, Mitch Ringenberg at Midwest Film Journal. Um, you can follow me on uh, Twitter that I don't use too often anymore, just for my own mental health reasons. Uh, but kind of yeah. the same, kind of the same. <laughs> at uh, Wounded underscore Kite, uh, you can find me on there and on Letterboxd at the same name as well. All right, man. Appreciate you. All right. Take it easy, man. Good job. You chat. too, bud.